0: Hello, and welcome to the WiseCast. I'm Max Herve, co-founder and CEO of WiseMonkey. In the spirit of sharing wisdom, we interview founders, leaders, and creative thinkers about why they pursued their passion, what challenges they've overcome, and what lies ahead on their path. We hope that you can learn from all these experienced people with their unique stories and see how you can apply some of these learnings in your own life. Today, we're speaking with and Ross. He's a Vancouver-based composer and sound designer who's been creating audio for Nike, Arcteryx, Adidas, and many other top brands. We've actually been a fan of his work for quite a while, and he joined the Wise Collective a few years ago as one of our premier members. He continues to reach new heights, and it's really fun to see his progress, but it hasn't come without years of hard work, so I'm really excited about this interview. I hope you can enjoy. And especially for the artists out there that are listening, I think you'll really appreciate this one.
1: My name is uh, Ian Jolin Rasmussen, but I also go by Joel and Rass and I'm a composer, sound designer, uh, playlist curator and DJ, father, husband, <laughs> not, a, not in the, like a specific order or anything. <laughs> all at the same time. All at the same time.
0: That's awesome. Um, So what do you what do you like about being in Vancouver just as a city in general?
1: Um, So I grew up here my whole life. Um, Born and raised in East Van. And um, I think just overall, I guess the, the nature and also like the whole city aspect because you can drive to the mountains and you can be where the ocean is and the beaches all at the same time within like a 20 minute radius depending where you're at you know and then even if you were to go south you're still like in the mountains so you're surrounded by like scenery all the time and i think that's like kind of gives what the whole like vancouver energy is of just um i don't know being in touch with what's around you you know fair enough
0: So you grew up in East Van, like whereabouts in East
1: Van? Um, So I was raised um, like an early portion of my life, um, like Broadway and Clark. And then we moved to Champlain Heights and I pretty much like stayed in Champlain Heights most of my life until I moved downtown.
0: Right. So just for a little bit of backstory, um, Jolin is one of our premier Wise Collective members and I actually have been a fan of his work for a while. I first time I ever saw him was uh, DJing at the Blackbird in uh, downtown Vancouver. This is probably like twenty long time th- twenty thirteen or something. Yeah, maybe before then. <laughs> probably before. And probably before that. Yeah, you were still putting together like mixtapes and and some like EPs and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I remember we were at some birthday party and it wasn't memorable enough for me to remember whose birthday it was. And I heard the music and I was like, this is so sick. And so I ran upstairs and I, I gave you props at the DJ. Booth. I remember. And you were
1: like, <laughs> I think you were wearing a selection shirt or something like that because maybe, yeah. Yeah. I was just like, okay, this guy knows he's actually listening. Cause a lot of the time, like at the blackbird, um, there would be like the odd person who would be listening, but most of the time I'm just, I'm just background noise, you know? So,
0: <laughs> but yeah. So I, I, I thought Jolin was a wicked artist and then, Uh, A few years later, I come across, I don't even know how I found you on on Instagram, I think, and I I saw that you were doing a lot of um, sound design for other awesome brands and videos and whatnot, so I reached out and just been uh, working together, and the intro that you heard was actually designed by Jolin, um, and it's using the audio from the farm in Nicaragua, which... I haven't explained yet on the podcast, so it's it's cool to kind of yeah. give it a little bit of backstory there. There's something very authentic behind that. It's not just like a stock clip. Nope. Wise, mm-hmm. Wise Monkey doesn't do stock clips, <laughs> uh, video or audio. So anyways, moving on. Um, so now you're a sound designer, but obviously there was a lot of growth to get to that point. Well,
1: not just sound design, mostly like composing, but it kind of okay, like... Right. We can get more into it, but it's just like it landed into doing sound design too. Right, okay.
0: So what made you first, like, what was your first thing where you're like, wow, I just love music?
1: Man, uh, I would say like maybe three or four. Uh, My my mom had a boyfriend at the time, and he was playing sax. He played saxophone in a band. Um, And so he always had the sax around, so he would let me blow into it. And I think that's kind of like you know, um, gave me, I guess my first musical taste. And then, um, my dad, he would always play, like he would let me choose CDs when we were driving in the car. Like he had a, like a massive book and I got to choose CDs, like anything where it was like, you know, Rage Against the Machine to Led Zeppelin to, um, you know, like Kenny G or like, uh, Charlie Parker, um, it was crazy like he had so many different types of music um and then i got a guitar when i was like five or six uh the deal was i had to practice and otherwise if i didn't they would take away the guitar so i think i was just too more involved of being a kid so the guitar (laughs) got taken away and um then i was eight and the school band uh came around and if you were you know in grade i think it was three or four you got to be a part of the school band so i instantly chose the saxophone um there was like six saxophone players at the time and like (laughs) like so i had to basically i guess battle kids (laughs) for the spot so like they chose you know the the kids who were i guess more prone to playing the saxophone if they had a, a better i guess ear for it or um the way that they could play it, uh, in the first few months. So that stuck through me with me all the way to now. Like I still play the saxophone, not as much as I did, but you know, I played in the senior jazz band. I played in like at a younger age, like I was probably like three years younger than the seniors, but I got to be involved at it at a very young age. Cause it's just, I always practiced like I practiced my ass off. And so I can still pick it up to this day and still kind of play or, like, sound how I used to. Um, But in high school, uh, I had a friend who was, like, really wanting to DJ. He didn't, like, he was always, like, put me on, like, you know, RJD2, J Dilla, um, Tribe Called Quest, like, Kanye West at the time. Like, these were, like, the artists that he was really into. So every day at school, he would come with me, like, hey, have you heard this? check this artist out Um, and then he would like show me what techniques were in at the time he really wanted techniques and uh, I became obsessed like I bought a book on how to DJ and I read it and I used to like watch you know scratch videos and turntablism videos and I got like really nerdy into it and this was like I think 15 and then I went ahead and I had my first job and I worked like that whole like summer and um, I had to deal with my parents, like if they were to get it with me, then I would pay them back. And so it was like leasing with them, <laughs> basically. So I, I actually went invo- like ahead and got the turntables ahead of my friend. And then that was it. Like, I got, became obsessed with like, you know, DJing in high school with records, like no laptop, like this was at the time, like, I could have got into Serato, but I didn't even know what Serato was until yeah. I was in my 20s. I was just, like, full-fledged into digging and, and vinyl. And um, also learning how to make music. I, I had a Mac at the time, and I was, like, messing with GarageBand. And then, you know, still in grade 11, there was a class where, that taught you how to, like, do composition with, um, you know, orchestration and... Uh, yeah, so I became fully addicted to that. Like I would stay in that one specific room and just like make music on like a MIDI keyboard, like floppy discs. And yeah, so you know, that kind of was like what triggered me to get into what I'm doing now. But I was more obsessed with DJing when I graduated from high school. I wasn't like, yeah, I'm gonna be a composer. I'm gonna do sound design. Right. It was DJing and that's it. Like, I I wanted to be a DJ so badly, and I think, like, and I was, like, I guess, caught up in the whole, like, SoundCloud thing, too, of, like, being this famous producer, too. And um, I think what transitioned was um, knowing, like, this is not going to be, like, how could I be a DJ forever? Like, it's not possible unless you enjoy, you know, being away at night. Like, and I wanted a family, too, right? So this was something that I talked over at my, t- at the time was, you know, my girlfriend, but my wife now. And it was like, you know, art, can, can you be a DJ forever? And in my head, you know, it was like, yes, but at the same time, you know, I always wanted to make music, but I didn't know how and how I was going to do it. And this was like five years ago. And this was kind of like my transition to like, okay, how am I going to do this? How am i going to make music, but, I also wanted to make music for films when I was at a younger age, but I also didn't focus on that either. It was like, maybe like fear inside of me, you know, like a lot of us, you know, you have an idea, but you don't really go into it. You kind of focus on other things that are there presently. Right. And then I guess, you know, even um, in between, like uh, DJing and um, you know, until now, like when I was first learning how to make music, I got also, like this is my early 20s like i think i was like 21 22 i got a sp303 um i had a friend at the time dj wondercut um he he would always come over and we'd always scratch and so one time he brought an sp303 and i was addicted at with that i was like isn't that like the like the lo-fi um, drum machine of, yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah very lo-fi i don't even know like it wasn't even floppy disks. they're like these little miniature disks and um yeah so he brought that over i ended up buying it off of him and i just became obsessed with like making music like i'm talking about like 10 to 15 hours a day i like wanted to quit everything but I, you know i still had to pay for rent and um yeah so now i'm here
0: <laughs> yeah so it started with a sax mom's boyfriend's sax and all of his cds and whatnot my dad's cds oh okay right your dad's yeah. cds yeah and then beyond that transition into eventually djing and then playing around with an sp303 which is like one of like the classic i mean yeah. it's how is it
1: how would you compare it to like an 808 like are they just different right an 808 it's a drum machine right like a pure drum machine right okay. where it was like it's more for I, initially it was I think the 808 drum machine was made for like electronic music you know okay and then with the sp303 you can sample that's what made it right different right so instead of having like you just upload
0: your samples and
1: well you can record them like right. like an mpc right but it was a little bit a little bit different a little bit harder kind of s- touching
0: on that though of all the gear that you have and the software that you have because obviously you have you have a lot of instruments uh you play a lot of different instruments what's the one thing you can't live out you can't live without and you can't say your your laptop because that doesn't count
1: it would be um my roads
0: is that's your road piano yeah piano yeah yeah
1: i think like because you can just well you need speakers first and foremost though like you need an app. so um besides like having like the amp, like I can just go and play it. Like if I have an idea, I can go and play it. Like I remember I, I had mutual funds and um, I was saving, like it's, I spent a good like few years saving these mutual funds. And I don't know, something inside me was like, you need to buy a Rhodes piano. <laughs> so I took my mutual funds out and and I paid for, I bought a piano. And I, I don't even regret it because like I've used my Rhodes in so much of my music. Like you wouldn't even know. I figured out how to just manipulate the sound of it. But regardless of that, I think it's just with the saxophone, you have to put it together and you have to warm up and whatnot. But the piano, you can just you can just play it. But I've always loved the lush sounds of the Rhodes. Fair enough.
0: <clears throat> that's uh, that's legit. So in terms of in terms of your own kind of career and growth and whatnot, who has been your most cherished mentor?
1: Wow. This is a really good one. Uh, this is a good question because there's always been like, there's always been a lot of people in my life who have helped me like kind of develop like a taste in music. Like, like my dad helped me develop a lot of uh, a taste in music just because he had so much different music around. Um I guess you know there was my um band teacher Brian Knapp at Killarney uh he helped me develop I guess structure and kind of like you know focusing on your sound and then uh for sure and like when it came to like making music like and really harnessing it and um diving really deep into it I would say John Gonzalez he goes by Glaxaburn or June 10 so if like if you're like really into hip hop and like deep rooted in Vancouver scene, like you would know who John John G is, and I would say John, yeah, for sure. John John Gonzalez has helped me, like the whole Outerbound crew, like Mike C, uh, DJ Astrix, Wondercut, like they just helped me understand, like creating on like a whole nother level. Like those guys are like insane, like creative, creatively, yeah.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. So. What was like the main, for you, what was the main challenge from starting out where you finally got some turntables, you were DJing and whatnot, and then all the way to even today? Is there some consistent challenge that you've had to overcome or like some sort of mental process or or mental exercise you had to continuously do to make sure that you, you know, get to your goals and get through all of it?
1: Mm. Self-doubt. Self-doubt for sure. Like I, I, I doubt myself a lot um just has to do with like when i was younger and um yeah i just had to like block a lot of things out and like when i get into creating um before not anymore like i really know what i'm doing now but for the longest time i would like before i would dj i would get like crazy anxiety (laughs) i mean like bad anxiety like even if there was like five people in the room you know and um i think even when creating like it took me so long to like make something before and because it's like oh does this sound good or like i would this would play along in my head just like the whole doubting process and like being good enough or and now like it's got to the point where it's like i know what i want and i know what i want to sound like um i think just sometimes though like the self-doubt comes around like can I make it as a freelancer? You know, like, cause I freelance right now. And it's like, some days I'm like, uh, is this, like, you know, is this gonna work? You know, but it, it has. So, and you can't, you can't do that to yourself. You know what I mean?
0: I think that's a really common thread with a lot of creative people. Um, yeah. it's, you know, I, I do a lot of the design, uh, or most of the design for Wise Monkey and, doing things like this, like getting it all set up and putting the thought into it, you're like, well, is this even going to work? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> is anyone even going to care? Yeah. Um, but eventually I think, you, you know, you see that you get the results in, in return and, and mm-hmm. then it, it, it kind of puts you in a different different trajectory.
1: Well, I think like what really ultimately matters in the end is do you feel good about it? You know, it's it doesn't matter what I mean, in a business standpoint, yes, it does because there's other people involved. But in the end, are you ultimately happy with what you're doing, the product that you're, you know, putting out there? And that's like the questions that you have to ask yourself, you know, a- am I happy doing this? And does it make me feel good? And that's where that got to, Like, that's where it got me to the point where it's like, you know, with DJing at a point, it made me feel really good. And then it became very redundant. So then now like i i've always loved making music and it makes me feel good and like being home with my like my family and like being there at night that's what makes me feel good so it's like that's why i'm not like so involved with djing anymore because it's a very nightlife thing and that's the transition i had to make too right um and yeah it's just about feeling good fair enough so now that you've kind of
0: moved into more of the composing sound design thing. Um actually better question is how did you get into that where you started doing like really legit clients? And to give some context, Jolin has been doing video sound design for like Nike, Adidas, New Era, Puma, Arc'teryx, a bunch of other ones <clears throat> that are like pretty damn impressive. Um so how did how did that even start because that's something that like literally it seemed like for me on being on a outside perspective, it was like, you know, you're doing some other smaller projects and all of a sudden it's like Nike, Adidas, like everything all in, all in a row. And I was like, Holy crap. This guy <laughs> just went like pro
1: overnight. Like what the hell? Um, that was like, it was a pretty long process. So I would say it started with hype beast. So in 2006, I became like a forum member and, this is like when Hypebeast was nothing. Like now it's like a multi million dollar site, right? So I became like, I guess, you know, internet buddies with a guy named Phil. Uh, and um, that guy's insanely creative. And uh, he ended up starting Madbury Club, which was, I guess, you know, a group of guys just doing, you know, creative crazy things and then it became like a full-fledged agency right and um, I've always stayed in contact with Phil and that's the power of the internet you know like you never know who you can meet and you know it's always great to like keep these connections and you know we're friends now too like we talk all the time and so with Phil in um, the Madbury Club he ended up like they always had me involved with doing mixes and making these Ashburn study mixes while he was in college. And so they were like, you know, curated playlists between me and Phil. And then they got to the point where they were doing videos and he knew that I made music. So there was like something for Nike. And he asked me if I, you know, could make recreate these two tracks so there were 50 se- 15 seconds each and i did they ended up not getting used but i you know i think it was like 300 for the two tracks i was stoked like <laughs> i couldn't believe i was getting i didn't even think i was getting paid he sent the money without me even knowing and i was hooked i said i can't believe i'm getting paid for this this is insane and then i guess like i think it was think a year later um they ended up doing they ended up needing something for uh asics raining champ so this is uh raining champs like maybe one of their biggest collaborations at the time and they did a a shoe with asics and they also did a whole um clothing uh line with the asics and raining uh raining champ uh collection so they needed music for that. So he, you know, he took a few of my tracks that I sent over and, um, he, you know, cut it up with the video and, you know, he sent me the video and he's like, Hey, are you, know, are you good with this? And I was, I was like, yeah, of course this is insane. And it, mind you, like, actually I was doing something else too. It was actually for a Nike, uh, Hiroshi Fujiwara, um, Interview that they were doing, and it didn't really go through until like two years later. But he took some of the tracks that I sent for that, and made it into this Asics reigning champ thing. And then that kind of like that snowballed everything, really. Like, um you know, I was doing a lot of uh projects with uh, another guy, a videographer. His name's Do Do pinlack He's from Vancouver now. He lives in Toronto, um, and. So we were doing a lot of videos together with uh, Jason Mark at the time, and he was doing small things with Puma. and uh, But with Madbury, the more stuff just kept coming, though. Like Then there was something for Microsoft. Then they did something for Ciroc. And there was, like, the behind-the-scenes, you know, three documentary-style videos for French Montana and his new <laughs> flavor line, you know? And it's just crazy how, like... You know, once that A6 thing came through, though, other people were, like, noticing. Like, Raining Champ was, like, I didn't even... Like, the guys there, I have friends that work there. They said, you know, I didn't even know that you made music like this. You know, so they ended up... You know, I pretty much do all the sound that comes through. If it if it isn't a collaboration, like, most of the sound and music that you hear on Raining Champ's Instagram, I've done. And... um I do curating for those guys, too, for uh, the playlisting for their stores. Nice. Um, And, you know, that was it. Madbury and Phil, for sure. Wow. So it's,
0: like, literally just that one friendship. I mean, among, obviously, a lot of others. Yeah. That then snowballed into what seems to be, like, the majority of your career at this point.
1: Yeah. Like, Phil really believed in my sound and um, creatively, like, what I've done. And uh, I think... With that I was able to, you know, build my portfolio with the projects that I've done with them and then like use it as leverage to cold call companies and that's kind of where I'm at now. It's like I'm cold calling companies and, you know, getting a lot of no's, but there are companies who will take my call or my email. A lot of a lot of agencies outside of Vancouver. So which is kind of cool.
0: Yeah, I mean Vancouver does have a limited agency yep. kind of uh, I don't know landscape I suppose
1: there is though uh, I mean they do have the corporate ones that are like pretty big like McCann and Co and things like that <laughs> and gray yeah. gray yeah and but I do a lot of stuff with victory um, so they're like basically they're actually around the corner from here and uh, they have a lot of offices like New York Portland LA but they do all like the Nike social so, wow, cool. um, but then they've also had me do commercials with them for like Google and the Raptors and stuff like that. So wow. it's cool that they're from here. So that's the connection too, because, you know we also know the same people creatively here and it's a really good connection. And then um, outside of Victory though, like, you know I'm doing stuff for Viacom. I recently got, I did something for VaynerMedia. So I got in contact with Media. No way. Yeah, like I've been trying for like a year to like do stuff with them and it so happened that they managed to take my call with an email and, you know, I had to pitch them who I was. And it was like, like crazy, like the real thing, you know, and (laughs) I did that with them. And then, um, you know, I'm getting into short films as well. Like last year I did a, a short film with, uh, a director out of New York, but I got in contact with him because of the guys at Madbury. There was a, photographer there who linked me with him and, wow yeah you know then
0: so, so madbury's still hooking it up
1: yeah well you know all those guys there I talked to they're all family you know and um yeah so that short film though ended up now it's on HBO <laughs> yeah wow yeah that's crazy man
0: good work travels right good work travels so
1: just like you know having these but the thing is is like I've always told myself like you know, anybody can get these opportunities, right? Um, but it's how you do the opportunities. Are you ready for it? Like, are you have you done the hours where nobody was watching? Are you able to, you know, rise to the occasion? So it's all about luck too, you know, luck, but also being prepared. Like, had I not spent those 10, 15 hours for like five years of my life making beats that no one has even heard in my, you know, my parents' basement, um would I be having opportunities where it's like hey we need this track in like a couple hours can you do it and I w- I'm able to do it because I've it's like automatic yeah. I know exactly what I'm doing I know what what to do I know what to do
0: that's rad so wow and so through all these learnings going from you know DJing a little bit making beats and now you're getting these like wicked clients and you're doing some bigger and better projects every time. Has there been like one particular thing that always, always works, you know, other than, you know, just hard work and being nice to people? Is there, is there one approach that has really kind of rung true every single time?
1: I would say, um, not putting, uh, money first, (laughs) you know, like as crazy it seems like, you know, I have a family and, I have to support them in the end and like, I'm trying to build my own self as a business and whatnot. Like there's been times where I've had to make something like, for for instance, this just happened recently with the VaynerMedia, like, you know, they never worked with me before and they said, you know, can you make us a demo for free? And if you, if we like it, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll work with you hundred percent, you know, but if not like, you know, thanks for trying basically. Yeah. So it's like, I'm willing to work for free to get where I'm at. I don't care because I know like I can showcase my talent, but at the same time, like I know what I'm worth and, you know, putting yourself out there and like doing it for free as leverage will get you these opportunities because then it's like, I'm serious about it. And, um, I'm more focused on creating great things. And in the end, like, yeah, like I will get paid for it. But creative has always been first for me. I don't know if that makes sense or not. But
0: I mean, fair enough. I think a lot of artists that try to get too rich too quick are the ones that end up kind of yeah. lose, losing their, their touch, right?
1: And I understand, like, you know, you got to eat and you have to clothe yourself and pay rent and whatever. But um, like I said, there's been opportunities that have come my way where it's like, had I not said you know, Hey, I will do this for free. And um, as leverage, I don't think I would have the same opportunity because, you know, if I said, no, I need to get, I need to get paid for this before I do anything. Um, then that might've not worked, but I know, like, I know like that I make, I'm not to be like cocky or anything or overconfident. Like I know that I make good things and well, I can rise to the occasion. When, when I need to. Do you think that ego aspect has kind of hindered other
0: artists you've seen before or just like cut off opportunities where you think you could really shine?
1: Probably. I'm not too sure. I don't have any like examples, right. but I think, oh, no, I need to get this before we're doing any of that. Maybe if I'm in a position and, you know, where I'm like – Not where I can say no to that, and like I'm like in a really good position where it's like, no, I won't, I can't, I'm not gonna do it for free anymore, Um, because I'm sure I will get to that point. But for now, as I'm building, I'm nobody. Who am I to somebody, you know, that doesn't know who my sound is or what my name is? I'm really no one. So for now, I'm going to be working like no one. You know what I mean? that's kind of
0: that's a funny way to put it um so you moved out of the DJing and and composing and I want to touch on kind of that transition and also how you even managed yourself when you were doing a lot of the DJing where there's like a lot of nightlife stuff Mm -hmm. and and now that you're you know a family man it's like have you had to make like a lot of mental shifts and also in your like daily routine to just like always feel good and be creative and have good energy and kind of maintain that? Like, are there ways, are there ways that you've adjusted your, you know, let's say consumption, like input, output kind of thing to create like a better scenario for yourself? Yeah.
1: Um, so with the DJing, when I was doing that, I was like, when Ophelia came around, so that's my daughter. Um, when she came around, I was still DJing about like four nights a week. And so I, um, I'd basically, uh, would, you know, work throughout the day composing or like cold calling people or helping around the house. And then I would work till like three and I wouldn't sleep until four or five. And then I'd have to get up like at eight or nine. So I didn't like that. That was like, okay, I need to, I can't teach you anymore. This is just too much for me. So that's what kind of like settled that aside. So, um, I was still doing that when, so we moved from downtown from Cole Harbor. Now we're in, then we were in Ladner. This was like, say a year ago, we moved to Ladner and, um, I was still DJing about two nights a week at this time. It was still really hard because I'm like the days that I had to DJ, say I had a deadline and I'm working like all day. Right. And then, then I don't really have time to be with, my family, because then I have like two hours. Then I go and I'm like, um, I'm you know, uh, um, not transiting, but like, um, traveling out to DJ, right? And then I'm traveling back and I'm in Ladner. So those, like, those days were like, it felt like I was working like 18 hour, 18, 20 hour days. No joke. Um, it was like non stop. So that was really draining me. So I think. I just didn't i stopped caring i didn't want to dj anymore i was really tired of it and you know ironically i was let go of the places that i was djing at and it was like this is timing you know yeah so at when that stopped i started composing a lot more ironically it just happened so then i became basically doing like monday to friday um trying to like wake up really early Cause this is, this is what I'm trying to do now these days. And this is kind of like what I figured out. This is what the great balance thing is. It's like, I wake up, I try to wake up about six o'clock and then I do like, at the time, I'm not doing this right now. Cause we just moved. We're in South Surrey now, but, um, stretch, do a little exercise in or run, um, and then meditate and then, you know, eat breakfast or read or something like that. And then you know, either like seven or eight, I jump right into it. And then, you know, I'm composing sound design or emailing or cold calling or having meetings and whatnot. And I try to do that until like four or five. and But in between, like sometimes, you know, my wife might need me to go to the store or um, watch Ophelia for like a few minutes or whatnot. And sometimes it's hard because you know, in my mind, I'm like, I have a deadline. Or in my mind, I'm like, no, I I need to work. But I've gotten to the point where it's like, I'm trying to be a little bit more relaxed. And it's a little bit, you know, have a little bit have more fair game with the family, because I'm working at home too, right. So I try to be as involved as I can. So some days, though, might be slower. And like, I can tell there's like a lot to do in the house. So I will like space it out. So I'll do all my stuff that I need to do in the morning till like 12. Then I'll try to help around the house and then maybe work a little bit more. And then the evenings are with, you know, the family, of course. And then, um, yeah, it's like nonstop. And then like, I finally sit on the couch with my wife, like nine or 10 And we're eating and like i'm still like if i have any emails i'll i'll do emailing or if i want to network i'll network on instagram or twitter um private messaging and whatnot and then go to sleep maybe like 12 do it again right yeah yeah. it's the the constant hustle man yeah and then weekends like i try to make weekends 100 percent um sometimes though like my wife may have an appointment downtown or something like that and like we'll drive downtown and I'll watch Ophelia for the day and then I'll work at nighttime and so maybe eight to like two or three in the morning I'll do that. Right. Just balance. Right. Trying to figure it out, you know?
0: Man, that's intense. We're we're, you know, we're in the same position being founders of a company where it's still growing, there's still a lot of work to do, and we don't exactly have a huge team. So I definitely uh empathize with that. Um so going forward, now that you're you've kind of you're still kind of s- sorting out like your kind of daily routine and, and your setup set and also, obviously you're getting more business and more clients. What's like the immediate focus now in the next, let's say 12 months. And then, you know, five, 10 years out, like, where do you want to take it there?
1: 12 months. Um, let's see here. Well, I really want to try to curate more for like restaurants and stores and whatnot. Um so trying to focus on that. Um it's kinda like the same as DJing, you know? And I think that's something that I really miss. Uh, at the same time I'm trying to become that go to composer for agency. So a lot of the time like you have say, I don't know what kind of agency like Gray, for instance, right? Gray an agency and then they'll reach out to a music house. Right. So the music house, music house are basically like they're in charge of the music for that production. And sometimes they will have their in-house composers or they will reach out to freelance composers. And so I do that a lot of the time. I'm a freelance composer with a couple music houses um, from New York and one in L.A. And uh, so what I want to do, though, is be either the go to composer from brand a client. So what we're doing, sometimes I do that with Arteryx too. Uh, sometimes a uh, reigning champ is a prime example. I'm, there is no in between cause they do all their creative in, in store, right? Yeah. It's just direct. Yeah. Or I will be the go to composer. I guess maybe i have an agency one day. I don't know. Right. So I'm just one guy right now. And I want to be that go to composer where the agency doesn't have to go to a music house they go straight to me and deal with me right so i think it's just being that go-to guy and i'm 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 getting there i've slowly i feel like i'm getting there with a lot of people um it feels really uh big right now but it's also very small and i know that there's so much being created daily and i just try to put myself out there hey you know i'm so and so want to meet for coffee you want to get a call or this is my real like I would love to hear about you you know what I mean just being honest and not like asking for work like I'm just trying to build a connection and I just want to create and I want to create great things and that's what I'm trying to like let people know you know like today I have a um, a meeting I have a phone call meeting with a director and uh, he does a lot of documentaries for um, World Star and um, World Star Hip Hop, and uh, he's doing something for a really big artist. I don't, I don't want to say anything right now because sure. it's, it's in production. But it's a really, really, really big artist. That's awesome. So I'm trying to, you know, just I really want to do a lot of films. So that's like my five to ten year plan too, right? My end goal is to, you know, still do what doing what I'm doing for advertising, but maybe there will be an agency that will do that and I get to focus on doing film and television series, which is what I want to do. I want to be a film composer or, you know, TV where it's like Netflix have TV series that feel like you're watching films every hour. You know what I mean? Like HBO home box office, right? Yeah. So that's my angle. I want to create those type of scores where it's like, it's almost like an art and I'm not selling for someone like advertising in the end, you're, you're trying to sell for someone and whether it's very creative or not, there's a lot of pressure in, you know, harnessing this sound where there's like 10 different opinions on it, right. Where for composing it's you and the director, basically you and the director or the DOP and. You are, you know, creating what you see fit. Right.
0: That's really cool, man. Yeah. I'm. Uh, I'm glad to see that you've built this network out, and uh, it's always fun to see your new projects come up because we've been watching your progress for a really long time. And even though we're a, a tiny client of yours, <laughs> oh, it's st- still good, man. We're we're still, you know, still invested in your own success, and you know, emotionally, and and uh, and and in other ways. So. That's really cool. I'm glad to see that you're you're still going out and crushing it. I appreciate it, man. If there was one thing you'd tell a young, uh, a young composer or even a young version
1: of yourself, what would you tell them? Mm. Believe in your work and believe in the journey. So, you know, at times I wasn't really like sure where I was going. Like I knew that I was making music, but at the same time... I was like also like, is this am I doing this right? What what am I doing here? Or I've had people like, just share your music. And like I get that, like sometimes it's it's right for people to share their music, but I like literally sat on a lot of music and I still do and you know, I held on to it, but now it's like it's like my music library. So I think I, I was getting off topic there, but um I think it's just believing in yourself. And not listening to anybody else and um, trust the journey and, you know, be impeccable with your words. So what I mean by that is, you know, say you're going to do it and really trust that the journey will take you there if you really, really want it. But know that you have to put in work. You know, a lot of amazing things don't just happen. Right. You have to put in the work and there's no doubt about it. But if you put in the work, you'll be ready for when the opportunity arises. Like I said before, I think it's just believing in yourself and trust the journey. Yeah.
0: Wow. That's awesome, man. Cool. Well, uh, we're going to wrap this up and I'm sure we'll do a follow up one down the road. I'd love to. I think we're going to be throwing a party here soon, so okay. I'll let you know. If, Please. If you want to break out the turntables and get back to your roots and DJing, it would be awesome to have you come out. Okay, I'd love that, man. Sweet. Okay, well, thank you very much, and uh, we'll, we'll definitely chat soon. Thanks, man. For Jolin, it all started with a saxophone and his dad's CDs, but now he's producing music for some of the most well-known brands in pop culture. By prioritizing opportunity and art over money, he's been able to carve out a career that he can truly call his own. Becoming a father has also been a big leap, but it has only made him a stronger creative person and professional. We hope you enjoyed hearing about his journey and encourage you to reach out to him directly. You can find his contact in the show notes. Please leave us a review and finally, we'll leave you with the wise words of today's episode.
1: In the end, are you ultimately happy with what you're doing, the product that you're you know, putting out there, and that's like the questions that you have to ask yourself, you know, am I happy doing this and does it make me feel good?